When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Johnny McFarlane, and today I'm joined by former Rangers left back Stevie Smith and the Sunday Mail's Scott McDermott. This week, we assess a comfortable but controversial 4 0 win over St Mirren, notable for Rangers' utter dominance, and referee Andrew Dallas sparking a Twitter apocalypse by awarding Rangers four penalties. And, and we look ahead to Aberdeen and Kilmarnock games that will define Rangers' season. Okay, guys, we've got breaking news before we start. Um, big story coming out of Rangers just now. Um, Carlos Pena has left the club. Uh, they've re- released a 25-word statement that says, We can confirm that Carlos Pena is no longer a Rangers player. His contract has been terminated. We wish him all the best for his future. Reports in Mexico on Monday suggested the midfielder was set to join Polish second-tier club uh, GKS Tichy. I think that's the pronunciation. Probably not. Um, Scott, you've spent uh, probably the last year and a half on this podcast <laughs> ripping the poor lad, giving him such a hard time. You, you must be gutted, Johnny. Do you know think he was the answer to the number, <laughs> number 10 problems? No? Listen, I, I, I've never said that I rated Carlos Pena. I think you did. I think you did. <laughs> no, listen, what I was saying at the time was, and a lot of people said this, like statistically, he was very impressive. He's the ultimate example of why you should never judge a player on paper. So poor. Honestly, I'm not having it. Uh, I've said it for the start. No, and I'm not saying it. I've not said it before, but right for the off, um, I just didn't think he was up to it at Rangers. Nowhere near the level they required at that time. Uh, it was a big signing for Pedro Cachinha. Twenty grand a week, Scott. If you, at least. <laughs> um, if you'd have watched his. YouTube clips before they came, no, as as you do, you'd have thought, right, they've got a they've got a proper player in their hands, but you just judge people as you as you find them. And no, he scored a couple of goals and you were always quick to pounce on that, oh he's no a couple of goals, he's got a wee assist and just watching him play, I mean six yard passes were a were a struggle for him, I thought at times. And no, there was the, the that infamous performance in the old Firm game when he was thrown in to try and stop Scott Brown playing and I think get hooked at, at half time or just after so listen I think Rangers have done pretty well I don't know how they've managed it but they've done pretty well to get them off the get them off the wage bill now uh, and I think for the club well well, listen just out of curiosity it does say um, his contract has been terminated it's not yeah. mutual consent it's very Specific, his contract has been terminated. So you wonder whether or not this has been a legal legal situation. Maybe, but I'd be surprised, Johnny, because that's when that's happened previously. That that can cause all sorts of problems. You know, when it turns into a legal wrangle and the player disputes it or whatever. I mean, it might be the case if they feel there's a disciplinary issue that's been breached. Uh, then fair enough, and they think they've got grounds to go with. I, I would guess 
that they've just come to some sort of financial mm. agreement with the with the player, um, just to get them off the just to get them off the wage bill. As I say, I think it's it's certainly good news for the for the club and the and the fans. Stephen Scott slaughtering me for um, suggesting that Carlos Pena uh, gave something to Rangers. Did you play against him, or what was your feeling about him? I seen him enough. Um, actually, the first time I seen him, we went up to play Rangers in a closed door game pre-season, and it was probably I think it was one of his first games. So again, you were watching him, and I was trying to see what he usually can check. <laughs> I'm trying to use, I was trying to basically see what he was good at. But for that game, it was pre-season, it was his first game, so you give him the benefit of the doubt, you're thinking he's a Mexican internationalist, he must be good at something, he must have something. And then the more I watched him, I, I, it wasn't offering me anything. Usually, the Mexicans are technically good, they can pass the ball, but Scott said he was struggling to make five and six yard passes. So that was the the thing for me, but he did, the, the goals that he scored, me for me, just papered over the cracks. He was poor, it was a poor signing. Um, and Rangers have done well to get rid of him just now, I would say. And oh. and, the, and listen, in a serious note, Stephen Gerrard was strong uh, a few weeks ago speaking about it to us. You no, know, the, the signings like that and Herrera, um, probably less so guys like Cardozo and that. But you no, know, it's can I cost Rangers a bit and cost Gerrard some money in the transfer market? I mean, who's to say? You no, know, if it wasn't for Pena and Herrera's wages or the money that they've maybe had to pay uh, Pena to go. That wouldn't have got Gerard another another signing in, in January. You just don't know. Um but certainly it was it was becoming a bit of a, a bit of an albatross around Rangers necks having these two guys on board. Um and as I say, I think it's I think they've done well to actually get them off the get them off the premises. Okay, well we're going to move on to Rangers versus St Mirren now and we'll start with those penalties. Let's go through them one by one. We'll start with the first one, Stevie. Jermaine Defoe brought down not really that controversial is it the first one? I think it's the least controversial at the, the, the four penalty decisions um, it was a stonewall penalty but an experienced fair horn for, for St Mirren's point of view but again it was, it was a stonewall penalty for me and, and there was no um, there was no debate about it it was a, a stonewall penalty Young lad 17 years old Scott showing his inexperience as uh, he says. A wee bit of naivety fair horn uh, I think he's a, a right good young player actually he's a, he's a midfielder I've seen him a couple of times with Scotland youth teams and uh, and St Mirren kind of under 20s and that and he's been a kind of sitting midfielder and looked pretty good but obviously he's been in at left back uh, for the last couple of months and done well but he showed a wee bit of, a wee bit of inexperience and naivety diving in and Stevie says that was a clear a clear penalty the clearest of them all Complete agreement we should enjoy it while it lasts <laughs> eh? um, Going to this next one now initially I have to say I thought this was a penalty especially watching it in real time I think I've changed my mind now having read all the commentary about it and seen it multiple times for me it looks like he's clipped but there isn't enough contact for him to go down and I think the clincher is probably after the game Jeremy and Defoe kind of said Aye. there was a little bit of contact but actually it wasn't enough to go down which is why I didn't claim for it Nah, it's not, it's not a penalty for me. It's one of the ones where I don't think it's a penalty, but I don't think it's a dive mm. either. But when Gerard, Stephen Gerard and Jermaine Defoe came out after the game and both say that they didn't think it was a penalty and they were surprised when the ref points to the spot, then I think that tells its own story. McGinn's obviously kind of motion to put the challenge in, kind of pulled out at the last minute. Defoe's expecting a challenge and is kind of ready to go down. But to be fair to him, he kind of half goes down and gets straight back up again. Doesn't he claim for it? 
uh, I think uh, Defoe actually said to us after the game that he kind of says to St Murn players that you know, they hadn't dived but he wasn't claiming a penalty either so uh, that, that tells its own story I think Stevie you're, you've been inside the game um, is this an example of a manager and a player being quite cute and managing the kind of the fallout because they know there could potentially be some retrospective action going and they're trying to manage that I don't think so I think you can, you can always tell by the, the players reaction on the pitch if what happened and I think on the pitch you could tell that Jermaine Defoe was saying there was contact but I didn't die but it yeah. wasn't a penalty I think you could tell that for the Rangers players reaction and the St Mirren players and I think that caused a bit of confusion at the time Yeah, um, I, I don't think St Mirren players were saying that Defoe dived <laughs> weren't they, no, they no, weren't they accusing no, him of diving no. or anything I think, they, I think the St Mirren players actually as you say we're saying to the ref look he's saying it's not a it's not a penalty it's not a dive but he's saying it's not a penalty mm. um, but by that point the ref had, had made his mind up I think we saw Stevie Clark come out yesterday and say that he felt that there may be a case for retrospective action based on what happened to Jordan Jones and one of the things in the rules about retrospective action with regards to simulation is anticipation was the full guilty of anticipation do you think he's got a case to answer there not really, because I, I don't think Jermaine Defoe's went down as such. Or, or do you think the SFA will look at it? That's the question. I think they'll look at it, but I don't expect them to get a... I don't expect a ban. I think it's different for Jordan Jones. Jordan Jones went down under no contact whatsoever and went down and stayed down looking for a penalty kick. Um, I think you need to take each incident on its individual merits, and I think when they, they pour over the Defoe footage... They'll see that it probably wasn't a, a penalty. They'll, pro- they'll see that he probably was anticipating contact and has maybe thought about getting down. But I don't. I definitely don't think it's a dive in, in simulation. I think that'd be pretty harsh. Stevie, what do you make of this new system that they've got in place for uh, retrospective action? Uh, as a player, how do you, how would you react to it? It's it's interesting. I think you, as Scott says, you've got to take every every individual thing and, and take it and make it separate. Um, I think, and what people have got to remember, every bit of contact in the box doesn't have to be a penalty either. Yeah. Um, as I say, I think Jermaine Defoe's reaction straight away, there might have been co- enough contact to put him down, but not enough contact for the penalty. He jumped straight back up and he's trying to go on with the game. That's what I took from it. Um, so I don't think there should be any any further punishment for, for Jermaine Defoe, because for me, it, was, it wasn't a dive. Again, his reaction after is to get straight back up and try and look to score the goal, um, which is the right reaction. And he wasn't complaining, he wasn't throwing his hands up in there for the penalty. So, again, I don't think there should be any uh, retrospective punishment for him. And I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, trying to troll back through Jermaine Defoe's career, he's never really been renowned for diving, no, has not. he? I mean, no. he spoke, and we got him after the game, he spoke pretty strongly about how you know, he's not a fan of cheating. He says diving's cheating, it's never something I've done. So, I mean, listen, people probably respond to this and come up with a couple of examples for his Spurs days or Portsmouth or whatever but from memory he doesn't no I don't recall him as being a one of these strikers that was constantly going down looking for looking for penalties I, I, I just agree with that I've watched him play loads and loads of times he's played hundreds of games on the TV with loads of cameras and I can't remember a single instant but as we said no doubt there'll be somebody out there with, with one or two bits of Aye. evidence that he has dived up West Ham Reserve <laughs> 17 but or something nothing springs to mind and that's obviously watching him over the years in, in numerous games there's nothing that comes into your head that, that stands out Is there a difference Stevie between the way the public views diving simulation and the way it's viewed in the dressing room because we can be quite pious journalists public about it in this country because 
I think there's a sense of cultural fair play in the UK that's slightly different in terms of, well, you look at the Germans skipping queues, I don't want to get into cultural uh, stereotypes <laughs> here, but there is, there is a different uh, attitude than there is in, in some European countries, certainly South American countries. Uh, is that replicated in dressing rooms? Because I would imagine with the, the, the real um, hard desire to win games, it might be slightly different. Is that the case or not? It depends how you, you you look at it. I mean, the one with Jordan Jones, Commander get the win, they get the three points, which is which was huge for, huge for them at the time. So, I don't think there've been too many complaints in that changing room at that point. Um, as I say, I think it's it's difficult to answer. I think everybody's different. Everybody's got their own viewpoint on it. Um, I don't like it myself, but it's it's just one of those things. If you're in a changing room and one of your players has went down, won a penalty that maybe didn't deserve, but you win the game. It's got you a grand all, win bonus. All, all, you're focused <laughs> at, all you're focused on as a player is, is winning that game. You're not too too interested in how you won it or a decision that was made right or wrongly. You've won the game and that's that's your main focus. Okay, so well, we're in agreement again. A uh, mistake from Andrew Dallas there. We, we thought the first one was a penalty, this one was a mistake. The third one and the fourth one are probably the ones that are causing the most conjecture on social media. So we'll talk about this, this handball. Safe to say what happened was um, it was a... Uh, James Tavernier went to cross the ball in and um, Greg Tanzi has jumped up outside the box. The ball's hit his hand, but he's turned and sort of almost caught the ball and carried it for maybe half a second. And by the time he stops, he is in the box. Scott, what was your reaction? My reaction initially was it shouldn't have been a penalty, but I've kind of changed my mind probably in the last couple of days watching it over and over again. I'm, I'm now beginning to think that it, that it might have been a penalty um, at first <clears throat> I thought it was just outside the box and then I no, tended to agree with Oren Kearney after it who said no he's only put his hands up to his face the example Kearney used was if you just took his arms away no, the ball would have just hit his face it wouldn't have gone into the box I don't know if I agree with that now after watching it several times I think if he doesn't put his hands up the cross might get into the box. It might not might take a nick off him or, or whatever. But the more I see it, also seen a no one can I grab where no he's when he's up in the air. If even if you think he's right in the edge of the box, kind of one leg is inside the box. And I know you're we're getting down to the the real kind of nitty gritty, and it's it's no that proves how difficult a call it was. But as I say at the game, I thought it was harsh. I didn't think it was a penalty. But the more I see it the more I think it might have been the, the right call. And as we said earlier, I don't think it was Andrew Dallas's decision. I think it was the, the stand-side linesman that gave it. And as I say, the more I watch it, the more I think he might he might have just got it right. Stevie? I think it's a penalty. Um, as I say, at the, the time, it did look like initially it was outside the box, just outside. But the more you see it and you see the, the screen grabs and the screenshots, he's definitely handled the ball for me on the line which which makes it a penalty or just inside the box um, but one thing I will say is it's, it's Andrew Dallas that seems to be getting a lot of the stick he's made four or five mistakes and that one was the linesman that gave that decision because it's impossible for Andrew Dallas to see it from where he is on the pitch mm -hmm. um, so I think that one the decision's made by the linesman who's in the best position to see it out of anybody on, on the pitch or in the stadium so again I think it was a penalty Yeah when Tavernier goes to strike the ball he's got his arms behind him you know, that, yep. that stance you see fullbacks take yep. up. And then as he kicks it, he changes his stance and pulls his arms up in, a, I think, an unnatural position. You, that's your position, Stevie. It's a left-back position. How do you go about defending these situations? Do you keep your hand, arms behind your back? What's the current thought process on how to do that? 
I never would keep my hands behind my back, but that's one thing I did notice about that incident that Greg Tanzi started with his hands behind his back. And usually, when you see players defend in those situations, they always keep their hands there, they don't move them. Which he always like, yeah. what's the point of putting your hands behind your back initially, but then putting your hands up? Because I your... think he's, he's put his hands behind his back and then he thinks this might hit my face, and he's put his hands up, but then he puts him in an unnatural position because mm-hmm. he's went from behind his back to in front of his face. So for me, it's, it's a penalty, definitely. You just can't do that. No, I don't think, Johnny, mm. but I know what Oren Kearney's saying. And maybe it would be natural in that instant if you think you're going to get smacked in the face to put your your hands up, but you just can't do it. Like you see so many penalties given now, don't you? With defenders putting their arms up, try to stop, try to stop crosses, whether it's out to the side or above their face or above their head or whatever. Um, I just think it was it was silly for for Tansy, and even no, even if by the by the laws, if somebody really can get right down to it and says it's not a penalty, it was daft. They shouldn't have. You're taking a huge risk by putting your hands up like that. I agree with everything you've both said. I don't think it's a penalty. I'll tell you why. Um, there is a law, as we'll get onto in the next uh, penalty, whereby if someone's held and they travel, uh, the penalty or the foul is given where the, the foul ends. I don't think that applies to handball. However, it's not in the rules either, either way. This is entirely up to interpretation. So I think both your positions are valid. For me, though, if you start applying that to all different types of fouls other than holding, um, it becomes uh, murky in terms of the amount of things that could be penalties. So you're saying the handball, the, the moment it strikes the hand at first, that's where you need to give the... That, that, that's my interpretation, get. because I think very specifically in the IFAB rules, it refers to holding. It specifically says holding, and it's in the advantage section of the rules. So it's about playing advantage when a player's pulled back physically yeah um and there's nothing in the rules with regards to any other any other place where um if a foul takes place then and it continues then it, it, it is given at the end of the foul but what one of the stills i seen from the game showed as i say tansy's hands up and it's outside the box as it strikes his hand mm-hmm. but he's got one leg inside the box how does that work that's a question we'd have to ask a referee. Mm. My interpretation it's uh, the, 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 the point that's making the foul. Right. So, for example, if you had one leg in the box and one leg out the box and that leg was fouled, the one that was in the box would be a penalty. If it was the one that was outside the box, that wouldn't be a right. penalty. That's my interpretation. But again, we're getting into real minutiae <laughs> yeah. here. Um, it just shows you how tough a call it was and how tight it must have been. I mean, that's the thing. People are getting up in arms about these penalty decisions because there's been four in one game obviously but it just shows you that one in particular is right on the kind of cusp and could have went could have went either way I think who'd want to be a ref Stephen they're all saying um, I, I, I hear often pundits saying why don't we get more ex-players in as referees would, would you want to be a referee <laughs> honestly no we had um, on my licence we had a lecture from Stephen McLean who'd done a presentation which was very good Um and he, he put up, I think it was an example of five decisions. And if if he, he, he basically froze the the screen and said to I put it out to the group, what would your decision be from here? And honestly, I think I get five of them wrong. <laughs> and but it wasn't it wasn't just that. It was so, so people in the in the in the lecture theatre were saying, can you play it on for an extra couple of seconds? And he's like, no, this is the point where we have to make a decision. So what would it be? Would it be a yellow card, red card? Would you play on? Every one of them wrong. It's honestly it's so so difficult. And I think going back to the game at the weekend. 
everybody's going on about it as if it was four blatant mistakes. There were tough, tough calls. There were hard decisions to make. They were literally on the line or, or just inside the box yeah. or just outside the box. They're tough, tough decisions. Um, and again, Andrew Dallas is the one that's taking the flak when I think out of the, the four decisions, it was maybe two were given by the linesman who should have been in the best place to see that decision. What about the, the last one, the Candace one, Stevie? <sighs> I'll be honest, as a player, or going back to when I was a player, we don't have a clue what the rules are. So you've just explained the rules. And I've learned a lot more about the rules since the game, if I'm yeah. being honest. I think um, we all have. <laughs> yeah, because at the time, I didn't know if the foul started outside the box, if it was holding and carried on into the box, it's then a penalty. I've always been in the, or the thought of, it's where the foul starts. Yeah. That should be, it should have been a free kick. But for me, it does continue on into the box, so it's a penalty. Now that I know the rules, but as a player, you were quite naive to that. You didn't have a clue what the rules were. Another aspect to that, which I didn't know, was that on the line is in the box. Yep. So even if you're on the edge of the line, so it looks almost like you're you're outside yeah. the box, you're not. If you've got one blade of white grass, then that is in the box. Yep. And I, mean, uh, I spoke to Steve Conroy about this. He was very, very specific about that point. I think most people know that, though, didn't they? On, on the ah, lines I, knew, in I the knew that. Box, yeah. right? I That's, knew that one. It's maybe just me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, having seen social media reaction, people are saying the candiest one is outside the box. But it's so clearly in the middle of the line that I wonder if people do know that. But yeah. as you say, maybe maybe I'm in the minority there. I thought that. I thought the fourth one. At the time, was probably the, the kind of biggest mistake for, for the referee because I thought at the game, again, you're watching it in real time for the, for the main stand, it just looked as if it was a good yard outside the box. Obviously, when you see it again, no, I do think Candias has been quite cute, quite clever. He's he's made sure that he's kind of stayed up until he's got into the box and then went over no, a wee bit theatrically to kind of emphasise the fact that he's in the We've had some pundits say it wasn't even a foul. I mean, it was a clear well, foul. He's got his two arms on his, <laughs> on his waist. So, um, again, as I say at the game, not thought it was outside the box, thought it was a big a big mistake. Um, but having watched it again and then applying... No, what you're saying is about the actual about the actual rules. If that is the case, and no, there's been an advantage given to Candias to see if he can keep going, but the fouls continued inside the box. If that's a pen, then it's a no. Rangers have got a good shout for it. I think going back to applying the rules is what they are compared to what I thought they were initially. Again, I thought the rules were wherever the foul takes place, that's where it's a foul. So it would have been a free kick in my going by the rules that I knew, but now I know the actual official rules, it's a penalty because the foul's carried on inside the box. No, you know what frustrates me, Johnny, is though, and I know I, I keep getting on about this and it'll never happen, all of this Ferrari, no, you wouldn't have it if the refs were just allowed to come out and say, yeah. here's why I gave the penalty. Now, I'm not saying he's got to come out on TV after it or live on radio or anything immediately after the game, but what's to stop the SFA on a Sunday Sending an email to media organisations, putting it up on their own website. No, there's been a bit of controversy about the game on Saturday, but for clarification, here's the referee's reasons. I thought process for awarding these penalties, and that kills a lot of stone dead. I don't get the reluctance to to do that when it's real major incidents um, for top flight games that are going to have a big bearing on. No other clubs and finances or whatever. Um, as I say, it will never happen. We we had a, a meeting with Steve McLean as well, uh, the media a few months back, and that was put to him. But the refs are just 
or the refereeing kind of fraternity at Hamden are so against that they just think it will bring on so many problems. There's, um, a, there's a wall of silence yeah. there and they, they don't want that level of uh, inspection of, of yeah. what they're doing. And I actually think it would help them, but they, they do not accept that. Yeah. The interesting thing was, obviously, the meeting a few weeks ago about mm. introducing VAR was the big thing that came out of that meeting. I think if you'd VAR at that game at the weekend, you'd have been there for. I don't know. How, how <laughs> did, you're right. How did, I'm, I'm totally against VAR anyway, which is maybe not a popular opinion, but that supports my argument because how does VAR, how does VAR get those decisions? That, that's that's right. when I go back to the point about how tough decisions they were because if you, even if he did a VAR you'd have been there for 10-15 minutes going over those decisions in, in terms of people's body position was there a foot in the box wasn't there a foot in the box it, it, you'd have been there for, for some amount of time I, I'm, I'm totally for VAR so I'm separate to Scott and what I would say is VAR is for obvious errors none of these were obvious errors no. so VAR wouldn't have helped because if you're applying the laws of VAR correctly it has to be something that, that most people would look at and go well that's a clear and obvious error and I, I actually, as you've said, I don't think any of these are clear and obvious errors. Maybe with the exception of the default one, but I still don't even think yeah. that falls under the VAR category. Aye, maybe, aye, maybe that one, maybe the second penalty. No, people in a van looking at it would have said there's not enough contact there. It's, it's no pain. But apart from that... But even though you take it back to the VR thing, it's, you look at the instant with the Chelsea and Tottenham game, the Cup semi-final, where... Chelsea had different camera angles to what the VR cameras yeah. actually had and he looked offside in one and in the VR cameras he wasn't offside so there's so many things that there's so many things that you could debate about OK well we're going to move on to the actual game that's 20 minutes we've done on the penalties <laughs> um, which I thought would probably happen um, I thought it was an interesting quote from Stephen Gerrard after the game he said I don't think the diamond worked again at the weekend but I don't think any system's going to work if you don't have that intensity or aggression to your play I felt when we went to a 4-4-2 in the second half at the weekend, we looked a lot better. We had a bit more balance, and Ryan Kent certainly looked more dangerous out on the left. What's your take on this, Diamond Stephen? Do you think this is going to work? I don't know if it's going to work. I think Rangers have definitely got the personnel and the players to play that system. I think when you play a diamond in the middle, the, the biggest thing, or the biggest part of the diamond is where do you get your width? And that, for me, comes from your fullbacks, be Tavernier and Barisic, who are two fullbacks that love to go forward. So... That is the ideal scenario for the Diamonds. You've got two fullbacks, love to get forward and put crosses in. Um, and but Steven Gerrard said himself, it never worked again. So that's two two games that he's tried it in, and it's not worked. So um, again, as a manager, I don't think he, he's obviously got this, and he said that he's got the personnel to play it. So I don't think you can just completely bin that formation. I think he'll keep trying it in certain games and in certain periods of games. Um, but I do think he's got the personnel to make it work. It's just where you fit them all in. I'm interested on your position on Stephen Davis because you obviously yep. played with him. Um, my take on it is um, that Stephen Davis has changed his game and looks more naturally comfortable now in a deep-lying position. And Gerard's actually asking him to play that box-to-box role that he would have played in 2008. Yep. And I wonder whether he's actually comfortable doing that. If you look at these heat maps that they generate now, he's very, very close to whoever's playing at the base. Yeah, I think one thing about the the Steve Davis sign. I think a lot of people before they, they, they brought him in were, were crying out for Rangers. They need this number 10. They need someone to play in between the lines. It's going to thread passes through for the strikers. And if I'm being honest, I don't think Steve Davis has ever been that player. I think he's, he's first spell at Rangers. He always used to play narrow off the right-hand side, yep. which is a position that suited him. Um, but again, I think the, the outcry from the Rangers fans, what was Rangers needing was that tip of the diamond, that player that can play these passes. And I think he's signed and he's been tried to be moulded into that position when it's not his natural position. But again, if you go, if I was playing him in that diamond, they would either play on the right hand side or the base of the diamond. 
He's actually played in the left side of yeah. the diamond, didn't he? Him and Arfield seem to yeah. switch sometimes as well. One goes in the right, one goes in the left. But when you put, when you look at Rangers midfielders, I think there's a lot of them. If you ask them in that diamond, what position would you like to play? A lot of them would prefer to play at the base of the diamond. So for me, he's never has been that number ten. So I think sometimes he's getting unfairly judged because there was that outcry. That's what Rangers needed, and he was the signing that they made. I, I totally agree. I mean, we've spoken about that. Before, I don't think... We've literally spent, Stevie, about 15 or 20 hours talking about the number 10 position at Rangers. I don't think Stephen Davis was ever going to be that guy. And just as Stevie's saying, no, Stephen Davis was a kind of right-sided midfielder in his first spell. Sometimes Walter actually played him wide right, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Uh, no, like away in Europe and stuff like that. So for him now to be in that kind of inside left, no, kind of advanced midfielder in the, in the diamond that is... It's quite unusual and I don't think he's really taken to it as yet. Uh, in terms of the system itself, I think it's going to take a bit of time. Clearly, Steven Gerrard no, wants to do it. He wants to get Defoe and Morelos playing together and that system obviously allows him to do it. But it's just going to take time. I don't think the players are entirely comfortable with it yet. I don't think Gerrard was happy with it <clears throat> on Saturday. He obviously took McCrory off early, didn't he feel as if he was doing the doing the job properly. Um and Stevie's right, I mean you do need to get the width clearly that is the that is the key to making the, the diamond work because if you've not got that then everything is so narrow and you're having to play through the through the middle all the time. And I just think even with the front two actually worked for the first goal with Morelos going wide and finding the four, it gets a penalty. But I think if you've got proper width with the full-backs, they two should be able to stay central and actually work together. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? That's the the point. Whereas I'm finding Morelos is going wide, Defoe's going wide. There's too big a gap between both of them. And that's why I think you're not seeing it work as as, as well as Gerard would like. It's a difficult one if you're James Tavernier because he's had the last two years of his Rangers career people telling him, you're bombing forward too much. I know. You're causing the team to lose goals because you're too defensively naive. And he's also had Candias in front of him for most of that time, who he's struck up a good relationship with. You know, the two of them are pretty telepathic now when it comes to him overlapping and you Candias know, sitting in for him or going inside. So that's what I mean by saying you know, the system's going to take a bit of work on the training pitch, um, but also in games, he's got to try it in games. And I think, listen, I think Saturday... With all due respect to St Mirren, that was a good chance to, to try it and see it. Um, again, I don't think it quite worked despite getting the, the victory. And the big question now obviously is, will, will he go with it again Wednesday night away to Aberdeen? Personally, I don't think he will. I think he'll go back to his, his tried and tested. Stevie, you've faced a few flying wingers in your time. How would you fancy facing up against Ryan Kent? I wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> he's, he's somebody that impresses me the more I see him um, just just simple things small things like he was taking corners with both feet at the weekend and that's something that you don't usually see up, up here really um, he's a winger that can go both ways and he's got pace he's, he, he would must be an absolute nightmare to play against and he's confident as well again that goes back to taking corners with both feet and all that kind of stuff that's just confidence and he's playing he's enjoying his football um, and I read an article about him about the loan spells he's had before I think it was a Liverpool loans manager was talking about he's learned the defensive side of the game the clubs he's been at now you're getting to see Ryan Kent doing what he does which is producing the final third you can see he enjoys it again he's confident he's taking touches he's 
like he's he's he must be a nightmare for, for opposition defenders to play against. What is the one element that you least liked facing? Was it someone with quick feet, or was it pace, or was it power? What was it that, that really um, upset you as a player? I would say pace for me, um, especially when you come to the you're coming to the end of it, you're getting older. That's the that was the biggest problem for me. Um, somebody with pace, even if they weren't technically very good, just that pace that, that troubles you in behind. And again, if you're going back to Ryan Kent, he's got all of that. He can go short, he can take you both ways, he can come inside, go outside, and he's got that pace that can just leave you for dead. So that would be my, my biggest worry as a fullback playing against him is the pace in behind. Scott, we've been talking about how he just needs to add goals and assists to his game to become a true danger yeah. in this league, and he seems to have do, done that so I was far. I say, I mean, it looks as if it's coming. Now, we, we have kind of not criticised him, but just said he's got it in terms of the numbers. No, start scoring more goals and getting more assists but it does look as if that's coming obviously getting another one at the weekend with a great uh, great finish great run to support the phone and a great uh, kind of clipped finish um, and I agree with everything Stevie says and I think he's better playing wide obviously no, Gerard's trying to get him into that number 10 in the diamond and listen he's got the ability to, to do it but he likes space to, to run into and the number 10 role, a lot of the time you're getting it, you've not got a lot of space. No, it's tight in there. You're trying to no, find wee pockets. You're trying to play wee kind of killer passes down the side of defenders. That's not really his game. He wants to be free. He wants to get on either flank and just go at people. Uh, Stevie says either inside or outside. And I think that's why he looks more more comfortable uh, on, the, on the flank. Absolutely. Now, looking ahead to Wednesday night's game against Aberdeen, I mean... They're all big games for Rangers, but this one is huge. Given that they've not won in three attempts against Derek McInnes' Aberdeen team. Stevie, what do you expect from Aberdeen in this game? I heard uh, on a podcast last night someone saying they expect Aberdeen to come out because they're at home. I don't. I think we're going to look at another low block, very big on set pieces, with Aberdeen trying to keep the score down and then grab something like they did at Hamden. Going back to the Hamden game, that's the one game that springs to mind. And if you look at it from Aberdeen's point of view, they had the game plan and the game plan worked. So I think you could see something similar. Being at home, um, they might be a little bit more attack-minded. Um, but again, I don't think they'll open up early on. I think they'll be their, their game plan will be sit deep, stay in the game, let Rangers have possession in, in areas that's not going to hurt you. Um, when they come into your half, that's when you put the press on. Um, but again, I expect it to be a tight game and maybe the one goal could win it. Just on the press, um, what's your opinion on how that's worked for Rangers? Because when they're good, the press seems to be the focus. But quite often, they don't seem to have the same intensity that they do in the games where it goes well. Why is it so inconsistent, do you think? I think it, it, Rangers must have played nearly 40 games already this season with the, the European run and, and things like that. And I think that the 4-3-3 was so settled in, um, in terms of they'd probably worked on it a lot more. Um, I think Kandias has got a lot to do with the press he, he's the one that seems to set the press off he's always the first one to go and close down the ball and he does it really really well um, so for the manager's point of view he'll be he'll be a dream to work with because again you don't get a lot of white players that are willing to put in that hard graft and that hard work and he's one that does that and he sets off that press um, so again it's it'll just come down to the work in the training field I, I, I'd imagine in the winter break they probably did a bit of work with the diamond formation but again Rangers have had maybe 30, 30 to 40 games to implement that 4-3-3 system yeah. whereas I've had two to implement the, the diamond formation and again it's not, going to, it's not going to be a success overnight these things take time and they take a lot of work and how sapping is it when you've got to do a high press that, that level of intensity I mean is it, is it 
you're getting to 60 minutes and you're struggling a little bit I think every every player's different some players will enjoy it um, it's something that I probably when I played in the middle of the pitch I enjoyed um, doing but as I say every club's different and every manager's different and in terms of when you press and how you press I think for the Rangers point of view that the fitness is high um, they've worked on it they're confident in it in the four three three. they know their roles they know exactly when to press and when to follow up with the press um, so I think it's it depends on the manager and it depends on the players and Rangers seem to have the players that enjoy playing that high press in the four three three system at the moment Scott how long can you maintain a high press in five sides? <sighs> oh for the full hour <laughs> No, no problem at all, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, in terms of Wednesday night, I think they're going to need to produce going to produce basically an old firm performance like, like they did at Ibrooks. I mean, that's how big it is. Um, in terms of how Aberdeen will go about it, I totally agree with you, Johnny. They've been successful now. In the last two games against Rangers, by just sitting in, sitting in, hoping that they can nick a goal, whether it's at the start of the game like they did at Ibrooks or late on uh, as they did at Hamden, Derek McInnes will know, the same as we've discussed, that that's where Rangers at times have struggled against that uh, that deep line, that deep line defence, um, and whether they're at home or not. I mean, Aberdeen punters will, will want them to. I want them to go forward and, and go and attack Rangers, but I, I don't think that's the way Derek McInnes will, will go about it. And it's a huge, huge game for Rangers. Um, we can't emphasise that enough. We asked Stephen Gerrard uh, about it on Friday, just about Aberdeen in general in the three games. And his view was that obviously the first game, a major refereeing call early on in the game uh, Pataudry has, has kind of done them in the game at Hamden he put it down to a lack of strikers which everybody spoke about at the time obviously Sadiq starting the game um, but the game at Ibrooks, he could come up with no excuses no it just wasn't good enough talk about tempo and intensity and that it just wasn't good enough and aside for that even in terms of creativity or no kind of guile in the, the, the final third uh, to open Aberdeen up just wasn't there that night and it was a poor poor performance for Rangers um, and they're going to, need to, going to need to produce a big one on Wednesday night How do you expect the makeup of the midfield to look Stephen for this one because that's the key isn't it against Aberdeen I, th- I think it will go back to McCrory Jack Arfield um, I think that will be the midfield three if uh, I'm being honest I agree I think Ryan Jack, when he came on at the weekend, changed the game. Again, even though Rangers were winning the game at that time, he came on and he started to play forward passes. Um, he changed the tempo of the game. So I think he'll be a definite starter. And, and again, he'll go back to that trusted midfield three um, for, for a game which is which is massive for both sides, really. It's a huge game. Um, but at this stage of the season, it's what you want. You want big games and you want um, people not to be talking about four refereeing decisions at the weekend. You want to speak about the positive things. We've got a title race. Um, it's close at the top of the league there's four or five teams doing really really well um, with Hearts coming back in as well with the game on Friday night beating Kilmarnock which was a great result for them so I think there's a lot of positives to talk about but we always in Scottish football seem to go and talk about the, the negatives which being the, the bad decisions and stuff So, but that's part and parcel of football it's, it's what people like to hear they love to hear the controversy they do indeed I, th- I think I agree about the mid- midfield uh, I think Ryan Jack's actually surprised a few people by how comfortable he's looked playing one forward, no, in the the midfield three. We obviously McCrory is the is the is the sitter. Um, Gerard so, talked about the fact he's asked him to hit more shots and that he's he's yeah, picked up a couple of goals on the back of, of that. Uh, so that's the thing. I mean, 
McCrory as a sitter with Jack and Arfield further forward, I would think that will be the I think that'll be the midfield that he'll go with. We obviously Kandias, Morelos and, and Kent and he'll leave uh, Defoe and Davis, obviously the two big signings on the on the bench. And if listen, we're talking about Stephen Davis. If Rangers are winning the game, um Davis would maybe be the ideal guy to bring on just to keep the keep the ball for you and no no keep you ticking over. Um so I expect him to go back to that kind of tried and tested uh, midfield three. Okay, we're going to have predictions now. I think it's going to be 2-0 Rangers. Um, I feel that uh, Rangers are going to get one up on Derek McInnes finally here. I think they're going to go and and put on the same kind of performance they did against Celtic. And if they do that, they'll have enough. What do you I think, th- Scott? I think sheer necessity for Rangers in terms of winning it to stay in the title race and also, by low averages, losing three games to Aberdeen. No, they, they should well, be. Well, draw, they drew one and lost two. Uh, of course, but yeah. it should be. No, they'll do, a, they'll do a win against them. It'll be really tight. I would say 2-1 two, one, two, one Rangers. I think Rangers will win it by the odd goal, but I'm expecting a big performance. It's a huge game, a huge night, um, but I feel expect Rangers to go up there and win the game. Do be a 89th minute penalty? <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interesting if that does happen. Um, but as I say, for Steven Gerrard's point of view, again, again, getting back to that point, they'll take the one however it comes if it's a poor performance and they win 1-0 up at Aberdeen it's a tough game they'll take it a key thing just a side issue I mean Aberdeen have got injury worries over Joe Lewis the keeper and Sam Cosgrove up front two massive players for them this season that could have a, a bearing on it I think with all due respect to Thomas Cherney if you take Lewis out he put Cherney in um, I think that's advantage Rangers he's still a good keeper though Cherney yeah, he's okay, but I mean, he's not played regularly top flight for a wee while now. He's coming in. I know he came in on Saturday at Hibs um, when Lewis went off, but that'd still be a big test for Cherney coming in after so many games out. Uh, and Cosgrove has been a revelation this season uh, after not looking too great when he first arrived. So that'll be a blow to them as well. They would maybe go with you know, Stevie May up top or James Wilson. <clears throat> but again, I think. I think Cosgrove would cause Rangers, uh, Rangers two centre backs more problems just with his kind of physicality and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see if the two of them make it. And moving ahead to the weekend when Kilmarnock, <coughs> Stephen, obviously this is two clubs close to your heart. Um, what do you make of uh, the comments of uh, Stevie Clark? Do you think that'll spice things up a little bit? It's interesting. Um, one thing that Steve Clark has is he's very intelligent. He's quietly intelligent the way he goes about his work. So. When he says these these types of comments, I think there's always a reason behind it. He says it for a reason. So if that is the reason that he's done it, then um, we'll see what, what that brings at the weekend. But it's a tough test for Rangers. Um, we've seen how difficult a place it is to go when they lost the game 2-1. And a game which, after 20 minutes, they were actually quite comfortable. And then Joe Warrell makes the mistake and um, they never recovered from it. So it's a difficult, difficult place. But... Um, one thing's for sure Steve Clark will have him fired up for that game he's you, quite, he's quite Walter, Walter-esque Steve Clark in that sense isn't he doesn't he say much and then, but if he's got something to say he'll say it yeah he's uh, and again I go back to everything he says is for a reason there's yeah. a purpose behind it um, he'll thought about it there's a thought process and I'll go back to when he first came in at Kamal like there was a initial feeling out period for him and the players it was a, it was a little bit different to anything that I'd seen before um, there was a, a lot more distance between himself and the squad but through time, he's he's that's he trusts his players and that's developed. I think he was just sussing everyone out basically, um, and I think he found out he's got a really good group in there, a good group of professionals, experienced mixed with youth as well. Um, so again, he's a, he's a really good manager, and 
um, it's a tough place to go for Rangers. He always seems so very impressive tactically. It's very simple what he does, but it's always you. You watch the team and you can see they're well coached. It's people say it's simple, but it's it's a difficult thing to make players believe in those simple things and and make them continue to do those simple things. Um, getting results helps that. I think for the minute he walked through the door, that the first game was Patrick Fisler away, where he was actually on the stand watching. They won that game, so again, it was easier easier for him to implement those um, those principles which is do the basics and do them well. If you do the basics and do them well, you win more games than you lose, especially in this league because everything's so tight. Um, but I've got total respect for him. He's a great manager and he was really good to me towards the end of my commandment career. In terms of that distance, is, is he still a training ground manager? Is he getting his hands dirty and going through drills? He is, yep. Um, one thing that he, he did do though for the... Every, 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 every training session that we done was geared towards the weekend so if you're doing a drill on a Monday you know it's preparing you in some way for the game that's coming up whether it be midweek or the weekend everything was always based around the game um, in terms of if you're doing possession stuff you're always placed in that possession where your position was in the pitch and again there was always a an emphasis on this is why we're doing it we're doing it for this game at the weekend so you were always well prepared and you always knew what your job was going to be for that game at the weekend Scott, you've been impressed with Stevie Clark as well, haven't you? Oh, definitely. I mean, the job he's done has been nothing short of remarkable. Um, I mean, again, with all due respect to the, the players he's got there, you know, the results. And no, let's be honest, we're not talking about a kind of flash in the pan, no, that result, he's got these results for the last like, three months, six months or whatever. We're talking for a sustained 18 month period. No, Kelly have been. Right up there, no, with the top, the top teams in the table. For him to do that with the with the squad he's got um, has been incredible, and I do like, as I say, he has got he has got that kind of old school fear about him. No, that, that that Walter Smith had and a few other managers had. No, you wouldn't you wouldn't mess with him as players, and and when I mean, you've got that. As well as having the total respect for what you've actually done in the game, you know, when you think he's worked with Mourinho and Douglas and Rogers and all these people, when you combine those two, it, you know, it normally gives you a kind of recipe for success, and I think that's why it's why it's worked so well. And I'm amazed, you no know, Kelly fans will not want to hear it, but how English clubs down south, you no know, kind of top end of the Championship, even lower end of the Premier League how they're not looking at the job Stevie Clark's doing and, and considering them for uh, for vacant managerial positions is, is beyond me at the moment. We can't talk about a game at Kilmarnock without talking about the pitch and you're a man who's obviously played on it. Yeah. Um, how do you react to all the controversy around the pitch and what was your experience of, of playing on it? I did like it, if I'm being honest. At the time when you're a player and you're obviously employed by Kilmarnock, you can't come out and say bad things about the pitch, but I hated it. And I think the majority of the players would tell you the same. Financially, for the club, I totally understand why they do it. Um, but for a player's point of view, you want to be playing on grass. And I think for the commandant players, sometimes we felt it was actually worse for us because we were having to train on it every day. Whereas teams were coming in once every every couple of weeks and playing on it and disappearing. We were training on it Monday right through the game. Um, so on your, it's hard on your body to, to do that, especially the older players. And Is it the joints? <laughs> to be fair, I, 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 people talk about the injuries you get on. I couldn't specifically blame the pitch for any of the injuries I had. The injuries I had would have happened anywhere. So that, but there is injuries that have happened in my time there that, for me, were purely down to the pitch. But again, the club can't come out and say that, and the players will never come out and say that because they're employed by Kilmarnock. Mm. Did, 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 did you feel? Did you feel come game time that it genuinely 
was an advantage to use over other teams. Did you f- did you feel during a game? No, this Melbourne they used to playing on us. We've we've got the better of them here because you had trained on it all week. <laughs> Honestly, the, the the period I was there, our home record was terrible, so it was never was an advantage, um, and I never ever seen it. It, it probably should have been, mm. but I don't think we used it enough at that point. Um, and I think there was a lot of talk about Kamala coming back to grass and they've obviously just put out that they're, they're going to really the Astro, yep. which I can understand because now when you've got that home record that they do have and they probably are now using it to their advantage why would you change it? That's mm. it, all the other teams are moaning about it and putting in their complaints and we don't like the pitch but from Kamala's point of view their home record's great so I can totally understand why they're, why they're sticking with it. I hated it, but I can totally understand from their point of view why they're now keeping it. Was there players at the club that did like it? Because I, I, I always read that there's a generational divide. Like young players coming through now, they've grown up in it. Yeah. And older players are obviously are more used to, to grass. You, you don't get the complaints for the younger players that you get for the older players. That's one thing I will say. Um, but we guys at that time, guys like Greg Kilty, who when I first joined the club was by far and away the best young player at the club suffered really bad injuries um, on the pitch was it down specifically to the pitch I don't know um, maybe I think it had a part to play um, so you had guys like him who grew up his whole time at Kilmarnock playing in the youth system was always on Astro so they were used to it but then he suffers a big injury and it's hampered his career um, so for me that was partly due to the pitch so he would probably have complaints but there's lots of other boys here who've come through the youth system it's all they know yeah. all they know is being on that Astro Monday to Friday playing on Astro so they don't know any different so they, you don't get the complaints for the younger players as you do for the likes of myself It's really interesting because a lot of the studies that are being done and obviously these need to be taking place over decades to really assess how many injuries yeah. take place but a lot of the studies at the moment are inconclusive about any impact at all One thing they do always say though is that if you go from Astro to grass to Astro that's more likely to cause injuries and uh, I wonder if maybe being a professional footballer if you're playing away from home one week and then you come but back to training I, on it I, th- I think even in a, a amateur football no no, I played games where you'd put, go grass to AstroTurf and you notice the, the difference you feel it no, and you're, I used to get like shin splints and that and I always felt it was going from grass to Astro and changing back that's that's difficult for players and you, you ask any Stevie's right I mean it's difficult for players to come out current players and, and criticise the pitches but I mean I've spoke to a few you know, pretty high profile players in Scotland that that aren't happy with, with the pitches at all some of whom have suffered bad injuries on uh, on the AstroTurf and you no, know, they would never come out and say it because it's it's hard for them but certainly within themselves they feel that the pitches are a big part to play in the, in the injury Steve would you call for the top level, the elite level in Scotland to just ban AstroTurf pitches? 100%. I, I would, but again, it's it's personal opinion for me. I, I I played on it for three years and again, I don't want... not That that pitch never caused me any of the injuries that I had, so it's nothing to do with oh, that I, I get this injury on the Astro, nothing to do with that. I just don't think it suits football at the highest level. I just don't. Um, and going back to the point about going for Astro to grass, I think my first season at Kilmarnock was Gary Locke signed me. I think we had our first two or three games were at home and every pre-season game we played was on Astro so we had basically 10 games on Astro and then I think our first game away from home was Motherwell and see we went to Motherwell even in the warm-up I was passing the ball this is completely different it was it was, it was, was actually a shock to me at how different it was because again we had that period we weren't at home one week away we would literally 10 games on Astro including the pre-season games so everything we'd done training 
games was all in Astro and then we went to Motherwell and I was like this is completely different it That's interesting because Stephen Gerrard talked about it after the Killy game when he said I told the players don't play cross field balls yeah. that's how different it yeah. is isn't it why, why, why would he say that I just think you, I've noticed the fact a massive change in the way Rangers have been playing on Astro even at Livingston at Command they were a lot more direct yeah. there wasn't there was it was every game that Rangers play at home they're always playing out for the back trying to play through the thirds but as on that Astro they were specifically and it was quite obvious to me that they were going more direct and that was to cut out the chance of your passes being intercepted as you've seen with Ryan Kent and Jordan Jones breaking through for the goal that pass would have happened on grass it was a poor pass but there's a reason as to why Stephen Gerrard saying don't play those passes because the ball moves slower or? it moves different it rolls different it takes a bit of pace out the ball so to take that element of doubt away Stephen Gerrard's obviously told these players do not play those passes and Ryan Kent's unfortunately it done it it takes you time to get used to the way I passed yeah. doesn't it I mean yeah. uh, to see the game Rangers won early in the season at Kilmarnock in the league the league cup I remember watching that game and Rangers actually played really well and deserved to win but if you watch it again it took them obviously that was Gerrard's kind of first experience it, it took them like 15 minutes in the game you could, there was loads of passes yeah. that were too short no, things getting cut out it was only after about 15, 20 minutes they started to play passes a bit more firmer no, they got the weight right and they, they get into the game and, and deserve to win it but I think it's the same with most opposition teams going to Rugby Park or Livingston it just takes you 10, 15 minutes to get to get your weight a pass right it's an excellent point Stephen makes about Rangers going more direct on AstroTurf um, because every time I watch Rangers on AstroTurf I'm like oh this is grim to watch are we going to have another grim game what's your prediction? Prediction? It's hard to it's hard to predict. I know it sounds daft, but you almost kind of need to wait and see how Wednesday night's game goes, just in terms of where Rangers will be, you know, how much, how big a necessity is. But I think you said right at the start, Johnny, these two games are going to define Rangers' season. I mean, without what to be a kind of doom monger, I mean, these, if Rangers were to lose these two games, I think the season's pretty much over which would be disastrous for for Gerard and the club but I think that's how big it is I mean the cup obviously speaks for itself Rangers want to go and win it they <clears throat> obviously no won a trophy in so long so the cup itself is massive but <clears throat> you've also still got the, the league game on Wednesday where they're trying to you know, keep the coattails at a Celtic so as I said before I mean two huge away games and We'll come next week, we'll have a far better idea of exactly where Rangers are. Stephen, at the risk of upsetting uh, Kilmarnock fans or <laughs> Rangers fans, uh, what do you think? A tough game, tight game. Um, I think Steve Clark will obviously be taking out the midweek game, we're looking for reaction for the Hearts performance, which for Kilmarnock's point of view is probably poor. I think he would put that down as poor. Hearts yeah. done really well in the game. Um, Hearts done a job on yeah, him Friday, yeah. didn't they? I, thought. I, I noticed that Steve Clark was. He's, post-match interviews was really frustrated but mm. that's probably how the majority of managers feel after they've played Kilmarnock because Hearts probably done it Kilmarnock what they've been doing to a lot of teams since Steve Clark's went into the job um, but it's a tough game for Rangers in the Cup it's one that there's going to be a lot of pressure on because um, I think the pressure is now there to, to go and win a trophy for Rangers so I think it's a game that they must win I think they will win it I don't, I don't think you'll see Joe Warrow messing about at the back <laughs> put it that way no um, ok that's all from us we'll be back next midweek well actually no We'll be back um, on Thursday with an in-depth look at Stephen's career. Uh, we'll be talking to him about what he's doing now and what he's done at Rangers in the past. Um, if you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, you can by tweeting us at record underscore score sport. 
me at Johnny R. McFarlane, Scott at Scott McDermott 8. And are you on social media, Stephen? Yes, you are. You're, I'm, yes, yes. You're um, at Stephen Smith Academy. Me, I think. I'm not sure. At Stephen Smith Academy, <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 have your tag in the in the podcast uh, tweets anyway, so people can get a hold of you through that. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Acast to get the podcast as soon as it becomes available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening.